doctors were often seeing that people who had um, gut health issues uh, also had depression, or people who had depression often had gut health issues. Hello, this is Al Levin, the creator and host of The Depression Files. If you enjoy the podcast and have found value in the show, please check out my Patreon page. There, you'll be able to support me financially with as little as a dollar a month. Your support will help me offset the cost of the podcast hosting site, maintain and update my equipment, and support the amount of time that it takes in order to produce the show. You can find my Patreon page at patreon.com slash thedepressionfiles. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash thedepressionfiles. In addition, it would help me out greatly if you could take a minute to rate and review the show. Thank you for considering to support me in these ways. And now to the show. Welcome to The Depression Files, an interview format show in which you'll hear stories of men who have struggled with depression and or other mental illnesses. In addition, you'll hear deep dive conversations with guest experts on various topics related to mental health. Topics such as depression and other mental illnesses, medication, suicide awareness and prevention, our current mental health system, and of course, the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. I believe that both sharing stories and educating people are ways to chip away at the stigma. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Depression Files. This is your host, Al Levin. I'm really excited. Tonight on the line we have Tracy Bear. Tracy is joining us from New Zealand. She is a PhD student on a joint venture with Messi and Riddit and the Plant and Food Research Institute. She is part of a study which is a wider research program that is looking at how nutrition can impact well-being. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Al. Thank you so much uh, for joining me. You know, I have heard for a long time about how the gut, the microbiome, which I don't know if I even know exactly what that means, um, can impact one's mental health. And of course, people, the old, uh, you know, the old saying of you are what you eat and so forth. Um, so I'm really excited to get into this. And before we start, though, I'd love to hear, like, how did you ever get into the study of microbiomes, the gut, and the connection to mental health? Um, it's actually a bit of a, a convoluted background, but I used to work in environmental science, and it was, I, I enjoyed doing it, but it just... Uh, I felt like I needed something a little bit extra and I just I read an article about the the link between the gut microbiome and and the brain I can't remember exactly what it was referring to but I just found it so fascinating and it got me interested in the subject so I just did a bit more reading about it and it sparked something in me so I um, up and, and moved towns um, started studying again right from the beginning and basically did a, a program, um, undergraduate program that, that led me into doing this. So I, I studied nutrition and psychology at the same time. And then once I'd finished that, um, just sort of put the word out and approached people 
saying this is this is what I want to do research in and, and I was really lucky to find this PhD program doing exactly that. That's incredible. I mean, you really, really followed your heart. Would you yeah. say, was there a particular uh, thing that pulled you towards the mental health piece? I know a lot of times I've spoken with so, uh, social workers and therapists who have a history of their own mental illness or of family members, and it's really brought them into that work. Did you have anything in particular that made you kind of hungry and eager to learn more about nutrition and particularly the mental health piece? Yeah, I guess just, um, I mean, uh, depression and anxiety are both so prevalent, um, you know, and I've definitely experienced them at times in my life. A lot of people that um, that I know have as well. And I just, I've never really found that um, the available treatment for them is, is complete. There's just, there's definitely more to the story. Um there's a link between the body and mind that is 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 known but is not well understood um, and just uh, sent me on a search to to find out more about it I guess um, with the hopes of contributing to you know all the other researchers are doing amazing things um, so that eventually we can understand this better and be able to provide really specific treatment plans for people which include the lifestyle factors right. Yeah, that is really cool. And and that's something that I've been saying for a while, too. And as I started to getting into these deep dive conversations with various researchers and such, you know, I feel like there are antidepressants and they aren't a perfect science. I know they're they're working at being able to look at blood studies and so forth to to better make a better guess at which antidepressant. But currently, you know, you essentially take an antidepressant, you wait four to six weeks, see if it works. And if it doesn't, then you jump to another antidepressant, which might or might not work. And we're talking about really vulnerable people who could be in the depths, really deep, dark place, and possibly even suicidal who are waiting for these meds to kick in. So these, yeah. these other pieces have become really important to me to learn about what are the other treatments, what else is going on. Yeah. And I'm wondering too, uh, when we talk about the gut and the brain, is, is there, so I know that there are different possible causes of depression and those are still kind of debatable and so forth. And one that I've read speaks about a possible inflammation of the brain. And I'm wondering, is there a connection with the gut microbiome and the brain with inflammation? I mean, is that part of what yeah. the nutritional piece is looking at? Yeah, definitely. So um, the, the gut-brain axis um, research has shown quite a few potential mechanisms Um you know, there's still there's still a heap left to learn, and we 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 definitely do not understand it in full. Um, but inflammation definitely is most likely to be one of the most important mechanisms. So whether that is systemic inflammation, so through the body, which then um, causes a chain of chemical changes within the brain, um, or directly causes inflammation within the brain. Um, are all possibilities and that interacts with um, the, the, the idea of uh, potential gut permeability causing the inflammation. It interacts with the, 
the dietary um, stuff that we're seeing where a, a, a more healthy diet is anti-inflammatory, which can be from the, the food itself and it can also be through its interaction with the gut microbiota. Right. That, that's incredible. The uh, I mean, it makes me think of too that there are so many different types of depression. I mean, some that we know of, and I personally wonder if there are even more different types of depression and different causes. And yeah, uh, you know, uh, yeah. like for example, there's definitely situational, right? Um, I was yeah. in a situation where I was promoted. I had a super high level of responsibility all of the sudden, and I had uh, I had a five year old, a three a three year old, and two newborns at the home, and it was just oh, like gosh. stress stress yeah. overwhelming an overwhelming amount of stress and yeah. that was certainly the cause now whether or not that actually caused some type of inflammation in my brain I guess would be a, another question or if depression no matter what kind of depression it is whether it's a chemical Im- imbalance or situational or a chronic low-grade depression like is I wonder if there's always a piece of inflammation that is involved that if we can uh, handle and deal with and mitigate then with the depression lesson? So uh, firstly, that the, 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 this is what makes the, the area of research so difficult. It's what, it's what has made it so difficult for pharmaceutical research, psychological research, and now the type of research that we're doing is that it is so there are so many different facets to it. Um, so that the situation that you just described sounds extremely stressful. Um, and, you know, psychologically, there's a whole lot going on there. But then the, the psychological stress that you're under creates physical stress. And physical stress will change your gut microbiota. It will use up... Um, specific vitamins in the body faster that are related to neurotransmitter production. Um, Inflammation is increased uh, partly on its own through the the nervous system, partly through interactions with the gut microbiota potentially. And it can be really difficult to determine which one of those is the key element to have that interaction with um, for treatment, I mean. Yeah, you always but talk. That's what, oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. So that that's one of the things that I'm really interested in specifically is looking at how um, the, the body and the gut microbiota are changed under stress, which then can um, cause potentially cause people to flip over into depression rather than just feeling stressed. So um, for some people, that could be the key change for some people it might be not relevant it might be entirely psychological right Um, and we really don't know enough about that yet the inflammation part that you mentioned um it's probably not always inflammation so there's a lot of research showing that inflammation is really important in depression that a lot of people with depression have higher inflammatory markers but not everybody and so again, it's probably the interaction between the psychology and uh, the, the body processes. How does your brain react and respond to these signals that it's getting from the body? And, and that depends on your upbringing and, and your genetics. And it's just so complicated. Right, 
right? Yet yeah. the, the complication that you're talking about makes me think about how a lot of times researchers are trying to isolate every possible factor except for the one that they are, you know, essentially testing or hypothesizing around. And, and that seems really difficult. Yeah. No matter what you're studying around depression, right? There are so many factors. The person is probably going home to maybe a stressful environment. And, um, so it it just seems like so much of the depression research is challenging because of that. Yeah. it, It also makes me think about, I, I saw, you know, I know you helped, uh, like co-authored some articles very recently on these topics. And yeah. one of the terms I saw a lot was bi-directional. And, yes. And is that in regards to the the fact that maybe it's the stress that's creating the change in the microbiomes or maybe it's what you're eating that's changing the microbiomes that's creating stress and depression? Yeah, and, and it's, all of the, it's all of those things. Right. Almost all of it is bi-directional. Um, so that can make research more complicated, um, but it potentially also looking at treatment options is is a positive thing once it's more well understood. Um, So for example, with the uh, changes in nutrition, it's possible that links between a, a poorer diet and higher depression is just because when people feel depressed, they don't eat as well. But that might not be the whole story. It may, might be that they are eating less well, which then causes changes, which then, you know, causes them to remain depressed. Right, right. The and old so cliche is, still... is it the chicken or is it the egg? Yeah, it really is. It really is. But even though this is very complicated from a research perspective, that the really cool thing um, is that everything points towards the same sort of answers even though we don't 100% understand it and we can't say for sure okay if you do this you will feel better it definitely can do no harm because um, all of the potential interventions are basically the standard advice of of eating healthy um, doing exercise sleeping well it's just that we are learning more and more about how important they are um, and potentially, eventually, being able to test for biomarkers to be able to say this specific thing is is the thing that you need to work the most on. Right, right. Yeah. So you know, I probably should have done this at the beginning, but let's go right back to to the start. Can you explain what we mean when we say the gut microbiome? Yeah, um, sure. So we've got um, a huge amount of of bacteria and other um, microbiota in our guts. Um, some healthy, some not necessarily Some healthy, healthy some not so healthy. It's it, Bacteria are um, funny little creatures, so they can switch between being helpful and not helpful uh, depending on their environment. So we can't specifically say this one is good, this one is not good. Kind of like a uh, kid with a little temper now and then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Since I was talking about little kids. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but in general, when we talk about a healthy gut flora, there are, there's definitely, um, some bugs, which, which we know tend to be more beneficial, um, like lactobacillus and bifidobacterium. Um, lactobacillus is what is in yogurt and any, any of the other fermented foods. Uh, they are starting to find specific links with 
specific bacteria. Uh, certain studies have found uh, there was one recently where a specific bacteria um, increased the socialness in animals, um, and definitely probiotics uh, have been shown to uh, decrease anxiety and depressive symptoms in animals and sometimes in humans. The, the term gut microbiome includes everything about the gut microbiota and their environment that they live in and the metabolites that they create as well. So it's sort of the whole package. Right, um, the whole environment of the gut. Yeah. And and yeah, how it interacts and how they engage with one another, I would imagine yeah. they do. Yeah, they do. They, de- they definitely do. And they create these metabolites as well, which are, you know, little uh, chemicals, basically, um, that some of them are the same as what we produce in our body. There's actually, they actually produce neurotransmitters. They produce vitamins. And they use those themselves for signaling, food, all sorts of different things. But they, they interact with our gut and they they can increase and decrease inflammation um they can send you know we we have receptors that we use to sort of scan scan the horizon i guess but within the gut um you know checking for infections and that sort of thing um so they signal things to us as well right yeah you mentioned probiotics and i know that you know, if you go into a vitamin store or something, you'll find probiotics. And I'm wondering, I also read a bit about the prebiotics too. And can you explain yeah. the difference between the probiotics, the prebiotics? And, and I'm wondering if the probiotics that you can get in a vitamin store are not as good as if you eat foods that are rich in probiotics. Yeah. Okay. So a probiotic is a bacteria uh, that has been shown in research to have a beneficial effect. Uh, not it, the the particular beneficial effect depends on the research. So different probiotics have been shown to do different things. A prebiotic is basically bacteria food. So it's uh, types of fiber essentially uh, sometimes other other food compounds but they when we consume them they increase the quantity of of the good and helpful bacteria so that's the difference between those two okay probiotics can be helpful uh, it's really important if you decide to take one to check that it is one that has had clinical research done for the specific thing that you want to take it for because otherwise it may do nothing or do something different that you are not, it's not what you're wanting to spend your money on. Um, I, I definitely think fermented foods is the way to go personally right. uh, because they, so yogurt, uh sourdough bread, um, sauerkraut, kimchi, you know, anything that, that is fermented because it not only has the bacteria in there in higher doses than you would get in a little probiotic pill, um, but it also has all of the, the, the good stuff. So it has a, they have really high amounts of B vitamins. They have the um, neuromodulating compound GABA, which is a calming 
chemical. Um, they have all this good stuff in them that has been produced through the fermentation process. So I guess I'm a little bit biased as a, as a nutritionist that I think eating whole foods is better, but I really do think well, that's yeah. When, and that's what go. I've that's what I've heard about many vitamins, even vitamin C. Rather than popping a pill, you know, eat foods that are rich in vitamin C. And uh, and I can really appreciate the fact that you said make sure it's been kind of clinically researched because it, it seems at least here in the U.S. there's very little oversight in the vitamins. There's very little oversight in in the yeah. way they market them. There's very little oversight in what's exactly in them. Yeah. And, and it seems always to be a little bit of a gamble. Um, one vitamin that I do take and I... Uh, I'm curious of your thoughts on this one as well, which is fish oil mm-hmm. um, and your take on that. Again, I know I could probably eat more fish and uh, olive oils and things like that that are rich in omega-3, but um, but I do take a fish vitamin. Yeah, so fish oil uh, pill. DHA, which is um, EPA, DHA, okay, yep, you might DHA need to cut that out. I don't know if I've got the right. The acronym there. Yeah, DHA and EPA are the two that two pieces yes. that are in there, and <sighs> okay. one is supposed to be more for the brain, and one, in, yeah, I don't know, I don't know all the ins and outs of. of yeah. That. Um. So, hang on, is it DPA? Did you say DPA? I'm uh, so e- bad with acronyms. E- EPA and DHA. Don't ask me what they stand for. I can tell you that bit, but I can't. <laughs> Okay, so fish oil has got EPA and DHA, um, which are types of omega-3 fatty acids. They are amazing in the body. They 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 do so much. Uh, they form part of our uh, the cells in our body um, and allow them to be fluid and permeable, so that uh, that the compounds and chemicals that we need can can get in and out of the cell properly. Uh, they form part of our um, a neural system. They are anti-inflammatory. They affect the gut microbiota in a good way. There's so many good things about um, omega-3 fatty acids. Fish oil supplements, uh, there is a bit of contention about them because it is quite easy for fish oil to go rancid and then it actually becomes worse for you than not taking it at all because it becomes inflammatory. Oh, I was feeling so good about taking them until that last <laughs> comment you had to make. I know. Tracy. It's it, honestly it's something I go back and forth on myself because I'm not anti-supplements. I just, I, whole food is always better, but it's yeah. not always the easiest when you're under stress. And um, yeah, I, ideally, if you're taking one, uh, it will be, it will have post-encapsulation testing, uh, which means that they've tested it after they've put it in the pills. Um, and you know that what's in there is, is what's in there. So at the very least, just you know, check out the website of the, the company um, and see what kind of testing they do to make sure that they are they're checking the quality of it. Right. Um, I can definitely, there's definitely research showing that fish oil tablets can be really good. But, but if you want to go down the food route, Route, route. Oh my gosh, that's a Kiwi thing. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it, it's word. even different parts of the U.S. that say route and route. I think. Uh, so, so let's say we do go down that route. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so uh, going, you know, looking at Whole Foods instead, uh, salmon is, is 100% the best one to get it from. Yeah, I've always um, heard that. Fresh salmon, not not canned salmon. Yeah. Um, and other oily fish, uh, chia seeds, walnuts. Getting it from an animal source is, is better because your body has to convert it otherwise, um, and then it can compete a little bit with other foods you're eating, but there's still... Um, it's still great to have in the body. Right. Yeah. So, so, so can you explain a bit, uh, let's go through what might the, what the gut might look like given a typical American diet. So let me give you the scenario. One drives up to McDonald's or Burger King, and we see that it is actually cheaper if we biggie size everything. So I've now got a Big Mac in my hand, uh, French fries, and a massive soda that I need to like hold with both hands before I wedge it into the cup holder. Uh, yeah. So, so fast food, processed food. W- what's going on with those? I've always heard, you know, how awful they are. High fructose corn syrup. So many of our drinks have them in them, or diet sodas have different yeah. chemicals that you can't. I've always heard that if there are ingredients you can't read and pronounce, don't drink it or eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, I'm going to talk about the whole body, not just the gut microbiota. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So. I'll, I'll work backwards there. So the the high fructose corn syrup uh, is is not great. Um, fructose itself is great. That's the 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 type of sugar that is in fruit. Um, it's it's really good for us. But that's when you eat it in in a, in a piece of fruit. There's not a high quantity of it. It's combined with fiber. It's combined with phytochemicals. All the other good things that are that are in the fruit. When it's concentrated and then it's a, in a, a really big glass of Coke, what happens is uh, it goes straight to your liver and your liver has to process it. Other types of sugar don't need to be processed by your liver in the same way. It's a really big load on the liver. Um, it's also just a huge amount of sugar for your body to be dealing with and uh, these changes that happen in the body when you have um, really high loads of, of carbs and sugar, um, you, you get mild levels of insulin resistance, uh, just the, the, also I won't go through all the physiology but you know you, you get brain fog, you get um, it's it's not doing good things for your weight. You know we know all those things. What's it doing for mental health? It's inflammatory. That's probably the key thing with that one. Okay. Yeah. Right. So the rest of overeating is inflammatory. Um, low levels of fiber and and junk food and takeaways. That's another problem with them. Um, you're missing out on that fiber that goes in and supports the healthy gut bacteria. There was something else, but I can't remember what I was going to (laughs) say. No, no problem at all. (laughs) So when you talk about food items and so forth that are inflammatory and different uh, nutritional pieces that are inflammatory, are we talking about inflammatory to the brain or other organs within the body as well? It's it's mostly to the whole to to the body. So brain inflammation is um, 
it's a, it's a more extreme thing. We don't understand it uh, very well as something that happens in non-medically sick people. There is, you know, there is some research showing that it's definitely a thing that occurs um, at, a, at a lower level. But it's just, if we just think of inflammation in the body, no matter where it is, it still can affect the processes in the brain. Then that's that's really the important factor, to be honest. And when we want to reduce the amount of inflammation in our body, we're going to be attacking what happens in our body body rather than our brain anyway. So that's the part to focus on, I think. Right. That makes yeah. sense. I know in uh, in one of the two articles that you co-authored, there was a there was a statement in there about a high comorbidity of anxiety anxiety and depression as well as irritable bowel syndrome, and I'm wondering if you could talk about that connection. Yeah, so that's one of the re the the high um the comorbidity just means that they they have a they commonly occur at the same time so right, right. um doctors were often seeing that people who had um gut health issues uh also had depression or people who had depression often had gut health issues it's sort of just something that's known um and high levels in in people that have real medical uh you know, issues with the gut, like um, inflammatory bowel disease, um, Crohn's disease, that sort of thing. Once they start having high levels, that's that's a real flag uh, to the research community that there's some kind of link between them. And, and that was essentially, those observations are what prompted this field of research to to get going okay oh that's really interesting now those those um bowel disorders and so forth are typically chronic correct i know crohn's is a chronic illness yeah yeah so i i guess i'm curious like i i go to a conference each year it's it's awesome um where it's online advocates of various chronic illnesses yeah and um it's it's a great thing that actually Janssen, the pharmaceutical, puts on for the advocates, and it's a way they give back to the community. Um, but I have realized going there that, and it's probably pretty clear to most people when you think about it, that many people with any type of chronic illness has a much higher susceptibility to depression. You know, if you're diagnosed with um, a chronic illness, HIV, um, diabetes, something there's, there's a strong likelihood that you may develop some depression. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you could distinguish the difference between a gut chronic illness versus another chronic illness that still could cause, um, depression. Yeah, absolutely. So, that's you know when you look at those correlations between them you can't say which is causing which and you know the original conclusion um from those sorts of correlations would have been well of course you know somebody's been diagnosed with with an illness they're having a hard time of course they're going to have mental health issues but there there is a type of research that can be done um looking at, at 
longitudinal studies looking at groups of people in, in the population where you can um, look at which comes first, um, looking at flare-ups, seeing which, which comes first, and that can give a bit of an indication um, as to whether they are linked, they just happen, you know, it's a, through a psychological link or whether there's actually other things going on. And there has definitely been research showing that um, not not just in gut health, there's uh, diabetes, heart disease, you know, there's all sorts of things that are linked with higher levels of, of depression and anxiety. And they are also considered inflammatory diseases. And so that is probably the link between all of them. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So tell me this, like when we're talking about the gut microbiomes and I would imagine we're talking about staying healthy, right? Like if I'm in a healthy place now, I should be considering what I'm putting into my body so that I'm creating the, the flora within my gut that is going to be healthy for my brain as well as my body, which are probably yeah. all the same. Um, does it also, is there a connection to also using the that nutritional aspect as a treatment for depression? So if I'm already in a, a depression, a, a, a clinical depressed state, is there evidence saying you change your diet now and within a few weeks you're going to feel better? There's, there's not a huge amount of um, strong scientific evidence for that yet. That's, um, this really is a very new field and those studies are only just starting to be done. Um, there, is, there is some evidence for interventions. Uh, they're usually in people with lower levels though rather than full-blown clinical depression um, but my take on that is if it is one of the reasons if you've got inflammatory processes going on which are contributing to your depression then eating an anti-inflammatory diet and having an anti-inflammatory lifestyle because that's really important as well is going to help and it certainly can do no harm and even psychologically, the, the feeling of, of proactively doing something to make yourself more healthy is going to help with depression. So I'm, I'm a big advocate for, um, even though we, we don't know everything about it yet, um, I certainly think that promoting healthy food, adding in healthy food and adding in healthy lifestyle changes like exercise and, and relaxation in whatever way that works that means to you um, is just a really positive thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I often talk about how I believe recovery from depression is really a multifaceted yeah. piece thing. Like you want to eat better, eat healthy. Um, you want to exercise. You want to make sure you're connecting with people. You want to make sure you're enjoying a hobby of some kind. I mean, you yeah. really want to be doing so many different pieces, seeing a therapist, maybe taking medicines, um, yeah. So I hear you when you say that. I am curious. You said, you know, particularly if you're going through depression and it's involves inflammation, how does one know? Oh, you won't. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I guess you can um, just work under the assumption that if you're having depression, there's a likelihood that, that it is partly based on inflammation. 
Well, there's a possibility because it's it's different for everybody. Um, but I would say more if you don't eat a very healthy diet and you don't do exercise and you are stressed out and you're not sleeping well, then your body probably has a low level of inflammation going on. Right. And whether it affects your depression or not, sorting that out is going to make you feel healthier. Um, it's going to make you healthier, which is going to make you feel healthier, which is going to help your depression. Right. But I also think it will probably directly help with the depression as well. Yeah. yeah. The cool, the really cool thing is that it's when we talk about a healthy diet, a lot of the research is showing that it's not as much about the bad food as it is about the good food. So on a personal level, that's really cool. So if you focus on adding in good stuff, you're going to get a huge amount of benefit compared to trying to take the bad stuff out, which is really hard. Yeah, no, that's a great piece of advice. Yeah, so just, you know, even if you, you you know, started on one chocolate biscuit and got halfway through the pack. Right, right. <laughs> you know, just try and eat an apple at, the next, at your next meal and, and know that you, what you're putting in is helping um, and it helps counteract, you know, we, we, we all want to do our best to eat the healthiest diet that we can, but focusing on what we can put in is, is much, much easier to do when you're under stress. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it will have a, a definitely a greater impact on how you feel. Yeah. I think uh, my thought is always, and I'm not the, the nutritionist here and the PhD student, but <laughs> I, I just feel also like, you know, for me personally, and I think many Americans, if we cut our portions down, Oh, you know, yeah. there, there are many small steps we can take to be so much healthier. For me, I'm oftentimes up late. And then when I leave this computer and I'm doing this editing and it's late at night before I like on my way to bed, I walk by the fridge and I just, I start scrounging for food and, and I don't think I'm even hungry and I'm about to go to sleep. Like so unhealthy. Yeah. And it's just habits. Yeah. And if I just eliminate the snacks after dinner and make my portions a little smaller. And like you said, just have a piece of fruit for a snack instead of, I don't know, a chocolate bar or whatever. Um, I so prefer to say as well as, but try and start with the healthy food. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, because it's much easier to say, okay, I'm going to have an apple before I eat my chocolate bar. Right. Then, oh, I don't get to have the chocolate bar. I have to have a boring apple. Yeah, no, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. But that and is that is adding to the amount that you're putting into your body when you say that. It though. is, but the thing is, once you start adding in those higher fiber foods and um, in in changing the way you think about how you're eating, you often get to the end of it and think, "Oh, I don't actually need it," or "Oh, maybe right. I'll only have half." It helps. It, it helps with physiological process as well as uh, the mental yeah. part of it for yeah. actually making better choices. Yeah, and I found that when I'm going through a good stint, because I always have waves of good good and bad stints of exercise, <laughs> when I'm going through a good stint, I feel like, oh, I'm going to eat healthy. I'm exercising. I may as well eat healthier too. And it yep. makes me just more conscious and aware of it. Um, yeah. So give us a, a quick breakdown, like what uh, a healthy diet. I mean, are you talking like strictly fruits and vegetables? Um, like can no, you name I like? what it might look like uh, briefly with some examples? Yeah, sure. So uh, a healthy diet is 
um, everything in moderation, including moderation. So um, you don't have to get rid of all the tasty food. There's nothing wrong with those. It's just learning how to um, to eat them in, in moderation in a way that we can enjoy what we're eating, but also get the food that our body needs to be processing um, and operating at its best. So particularly the American diet, I find it's quite high in sugar. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I have been over there. Uh, and yeah, I was very surprised to find that cake for breakfast was a thing. <laughs> it's, it's not, <laughs> not not a thing we we tend to do here. Um, not that it, not that the New Zealand diet is necessarily better, but it's just that's not a typical breakfast food. Um, was it was it really noticeable also as you walked down the street that people were heavier in general than people in New Zealand? Just out of curiosity. Uh, no, no, we're okay. probably about the same, to be honest. Okay. You just, yeah, just different types of food. We there's quite an Americanized um, style of food here as well. We just we have quite. It's probably pretty similar, to be honest. Um, anyway, so a healthy diet. So the the recommendations for a healthy diet um, it can be visualized quite well on a plate. So at each meal, aiming to have half of what you're eating uh, be fruit or vegetables and have that be mostly vegetables. The vegetables, which have got the fibre, the phytochemicals, which I haven't talked about yet, so those are um, almost medicine. Like they, they, they work in the body and do all sorts of things that we are only just starting to understand Um interact with the gut microbiota, the anti-inflammatory, there are all sorts of good things and that's what's in the the fruit and vegetables. Uh, a quarter carbs, so toast, pasta, um, whole grain carbs as much as possible, quinoa, brown rice, you know, there's so many different options for that and then the other quarter um, would be protein, so whether that's meat, whether it's beans, eggs, um, some kind of, of, of dairy food. That is what a healthy meal looks like. And you can change that for the different meals of the day. So breakfast, that might be uh, porridge with yogurt and some apple chopped through it. For lunch, that could be a sandwich with um, with with a salad sandwich. And then you have some fruit with it. Or maybe it's leftovers from dinner. That's my go-to. Um, and then uh, dinner is so eclectic. That can be anything. But as long as you're following those ratios, then that's that's healthy. And, and three but, three meals a day. And yeah, how about so that's snacks? the other part of it. It's not a, not only about what you're eating. It's about how you're eating. So portion size is is really good to look at. Do you need to eat that entire thing, or can you reduce it a little bit? Um, snacks some people find it hard to go through the day with no snacks and having morning tea and afternoon tea is fine but minimising what you're eating at those times um, and not having a snack if you can get through is is really good for uh, your metabolism it helps your metabolism switch between the um, the different types of energy processing which is really healthy that was not snacking, so sticking to just the three meals only, if yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah. 
But okay. yes, yeah. So that's the recommendation. And if you I, snack, do you have recommendations for snacking? Yeah. So for snacks, um, a good thing is um, a pottle of yogurt, boiled egg, some chopped up uh, for veggies, chopped up carrots and celery with some hummus, just something little. Um, those are good times if you want to have a treat. So, you know, go and have a, a, a cup of coffee at morning tea time and have a chocolate biscuit with it. Like there's no, as long as you just have one, right? that's perfectly healthy and fine. And, and it, if you enjoy it, then that's going to help you feel better. So it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about uh, a big, it seems like a fad to me, but maybe it's not, but it's been more in the news and so forth and more people talking about it. What's your, your take on intermittent fasting? Oh, right. Yeah. So there's definitely research showing that that is um, really healthy and that gets back to that, the changes in the metabolic processing that I just was talking about. Right. So our bodies are designed to get energy from fat or sugar. And when we eat um, too much of, of one or the other, um, the, our body tends to get stuck in that type of processing the healthiest way to be is to have what's called metabolic flexibility where you, your body can switch between them and so when you do fasting it gives your body a break from having that energy input and it switches on the processes which um, they starts using up the fat stores that you've got in the body uh, any any fat that you've eaten it it just I don't know how to describe it, but it just kind of gives you a metabolic clean out, I guess. Right. Um, and is there, uh, and I don't know how much you know about the intermittent fast again, maybe I'm pushing you past your limits of, of what you're uh, knowledgeable about in that area, but I think there are different styles of intermittent fasting. Some that's Yeah, there are. Know, yeah. So is there, there one that, that you believe is better than the others? Um, there's been there's a lot of people who follow the five two, um, where they just eat normally for five days and then they eat five hundred calories for two days, and and that has shown to be good good for weight loss. Um, I don't know how it's whether anyone has done any research on depression. The the sixteen eight is quite good and probably a lot easier for people to follow if that's something that they want to try so that's where you just eat for eight hours in the day and then you fast for the other 16 hours so you can still eat a normal breakfast lunch and dinner you just eat them between 9 a.m and 5 p.m right um yeah i i, I don't have any strong feelings about fasting um extreme you know people can take those sorts of things to an extreme and that that part bothers me a little bit when it starts getting into fad diet and um territory or you know people using it as a control thing oh, rather than right. trying to yeah just um for their health yeah but, i mean that certainly gets into the mental health aspect right i mean now we're, yeah. we're leaning towards eating disorders right exactly yeah, yeah. But um, for the, you know, I think that most people who, who do these types of diets um, 
they're not unhealthy if they're if they're done properly. Right. Um, or yeah, definitely yeah. would recommend you know talking to a qualified nutritionist or a dietitian before you start anything like that, just to make sure that you are getting all of the nutrients that you need. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So Tracy, here we are talking uh, microbiome, the gut, the brain, stuff. I'm not so well versed in as much as I tried to prepare. So I'm just wondering if you have uh, thoughts in your mind of things that I should have asked had I known this topic better. Anything we didn't talk about related to gut microbiome and the the brain access? Um, the one other thing which I find very fascinating and ties in with the healthy lifestyle in general is that our gut microbiome is also impacted by exercise and by sleep. And so when you're thinking about having a healthy gut or you're thinking about having a healthy lifestyle, they all tie in together and there's no point in just drilling down and focusing on one. Um, stress, stress, I should add, it. stress is the other huge one that interacts with all of these things. So there's no point in stressing out and having a perfectly healthy diet if you're not sleeping well or you're not doing exercise or you're just stressed out um, because you're trying to stick to this diet. Looking at your lifestyle as a whole and making small small changes that you can maintain long term is the most effective and and easiest to stick with kind of thing that you can do. That makes a lot of sense. That's a, yeah, that's it a really was good not well worded, but yeah. No, that's a really good piece of advice, right? I mean, essentially, start small with small changes. Yeah. Um, and things that, like you said, you don't want to stress yourself out around trying to be so rigid with your diet that you're now stressed out and you're not sleeping well. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, and the sleep, yeah, I feel like doctors typically, if you're going in for mental health concerns, one of the first things the doctors that I've dealt with, at least, they, they really want to wrap their heads around helping you get a good night of sleep first mm. and foremost, um, because that is so important. Oh, it's so important. I, um, I've i got a two-and-a-half-year-old, and I can tell you that the lack of sleep in those first few years just is a killer for mental health. Yeah, yeah. It just, oh, it's horrendous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a, really, a really interesting thing um, that I found out about sleep is that sleep before midnight is more refreshing than sleep after midnight. Wow. Uh, yeah, so going to bed early, we call it sleeping in backwards in this house. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's that. much better for you than uh, sleeping in in the morning, and you will wake up feeling um, much better for it. Yeah, that that is something I am trying to do be better about. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, I mean, that would help eliminate late-night snacking if I went to bed earlier. Yeah, I mean, it, it helps in all Easier regards. Easier said than done sometimes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, awesome. So here's the way uh, I'm going to wrap up how I usually wrap up when I've interviewed men with uh, lived experiences of mental illness. 
Um, just if you have a suggestion, if somebody's listening to this podcast, this episode right now, and they're in a place where they're struggling with um, depression or another possible mental illness, what's a, a piece of advice you would give them? You mean from my perspective, like from my nutritional you know, perspective or just uh, in general? Yeah, just in general. I mean, I know you have a strong passion around mental health in general as well. Um, maybe it is related to uh, your the work you're doing currently and, and maybe it's just a personal thought. Right. Um, I think when, when you're experiencing a, a bout of depression, it can feel very overwhelming and the idea um, that there's all these things that you potentially can or should do to help yourself can also feel really overwhelming. A, a really important thing to do if you can is to find a person whether that's a, a friend or a family member or it's your doctor or it's a therapist who can help be your coach or your guide um, and just talk through how you can make an action plan that includes the things out of all the things you can do that work for you specifically in your life because if you can't do them, if you give yourself too too many expectations, then that's just going to be more stressful and it's going to be more harmful. Um, I think fo- focusing on um, focusing on the small things, that, the small positive things is really good. And the, the one thing that I completely forgot to bring up uh, is mindfulness meditation and that f- I, I believe that that is one of the most effective things that anybody can do it, um, to help with mental illness as well as physical health because it reduces your physical stress in the body as well as cha- helps you change your thought patterns by reducing the impact of all those all the, those running thoughts that go through the head. You can just let them fly by. So if you haven't got into mindfulness meditation look it up it's not airy fairy there's science behind it it's good go do it yeah i couldn't agree more i think you're absolutely right yeah um great advice reach out for help uh i hear you saying make small goals right yeah and and i think Mm. it's important to celebrate them right i tell people if you're stuck on your couch just go for a walk around the block and make yourself yeah. do it and then acknowledge it and recognize yeah. that you got off that couch and you walked around the block and make sure you give yourself credit for it. And then yeah. lastly, like you said, the mindfulness piece, which is, it's huge. It's awesome. Mm. You don't yeah. have to dwell on the past or, or think about the future and get so worried about it. Live in the moment and be fully present. And yeah. like you said, look it up. There's a ton of great info out on the web about it. Mm-hmm. Well, Tracy, thank you so much. Um, really, it's been um, challenging at times reaching out to different PhD students and researchers, and I know how busy everybody is. And I just uh, really appreciate you taking the time to share such a wealth of information you are and so awesome for our listeners. So thank you for the time and thank you for the research you're doing. And, uh, you know, you're going you're gonna to help thousands and thousands of people with what you're doing. So thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Al. It's been great to talk to you. I really like what you're doing with the, um, the podcast. Hey, thank you very much. Yeah. Well, it's been great. Make sure you uh, stay healthy. 
Yeah, you too. All right, thanks. Thank you for listening to The Depression Files. Please know that if you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the U.S., you can text 741741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you're a man who has experienced depression or any other mental illness and would like to be interviewed for the show, or if you'd simply like to suggest a topic, please reach out to me on Twitter at AlLevin18 or email me at thedepressionfiles at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files.